Good morning. Welcome to the first session of the second day of the Becker's annual meeting. I'm Molly Gamble, Becker's Healthcare, and I'm delighted today to have a chance to share the stage and join conversation with Dr. Ronald Copeland. Dr. Copeland is Senior Vice President and Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Officer with Kaiser Permanente. He's a board-certified surgeon. He joined Kaiser Permanente in 1988 after a six-year honorable tour of duty in the U.S. Air Force Medical Corps. Prior to his current role, he served as president and executive medical director of the Ohio Permanente Medical Group. We are going to make sure we make some time for your questions today, just so you know that in advance. Dr. Copeland, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'm really delighted and looking forward to learning more about your work and your perspective, especially over the past couple of years as EID has come up so much in conversation already here at Becker's. So let's talk about it. You, you've been with Kaiser Permanente for 33 years and in your role as Chief Equity Inclusion Diversity Officer for 12. I imagine your role in your work has really evolved in that time. Can you tell us a little bit about how that is and why EID is more important than ever right now? Well, I think uh, regarding the, the role evolution, and in and, and this day and age, uh, people might think it's nearly impossible to stay with one organization for that period of time. But uh, for me, uh, a couple of things that have made that possible is one, uh, the lessons that patients taught me you know, in over 30 years of, of surgical practice uh, around the power of communication, of effective listening, and alignment of values. Um, that's always been important to me. So finding an organization whose mission, values reflect and align with mine on a consistent basis, and then allowing me to have basically three separate uh, careers as a surgeon, executive, and, and now executive in this role, um, that's made all that possible. But the lessons from patient care, which is the anchor, have translated into inform and how I led in each of those roles and how I lead this work today. As far as the, uh, the importance of EID, um, <clears throat> I think um, it's always been important, particularly the folks who have been marginalized and uh, not had ample and fair opportunities to realize their dreams, ambitions, uh, aspirations. Uh, so I'm glad that it is getting the time, attention, and space that it needs now. But I think the, the context of this is really what's important. Uh, and that is that uh, while we have an awareness of it, the, the question is, <clears throat> will we take this moment and turn it into a sustainable transformative movement or not? Uh, and I think we have that opportunity. It's been aided by, unfortunately, the tragedies and trauma that we've witnessed over the past uh, two years uh, kind of ripped the Band-Aid off of the, of the issues related to equity and inclusion. And there's now a public outcry and a demand for action in meaningful and sustainable ways. So I think the real question is, are we going to answer the call or not? We've had these opportunities previously. Uh, and there could be a lot of focus and energy in the moment, but the real key is what do we do on a sustainable basis? And that's the question I and colleagues around the country, around the world, you know, ponder at this point is, is can we leverage this for a sustainable transformative movement as opposed to attention, energy, and then dissipation? Right, right. So it's a tipping point where there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of attention, like you said, but it is actually enacting meaningful change. Is, is that occurring? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great point. I hope it is. Um, you know, centuries of racism have 
a profound and, and negative impact on communities of color and the pandemic really highlighted this. That's nothing new in, in public health worlds, um, but I think for the general public to see this, these inequities that have existed for years really come front and center was, was a, a big opportunity for, for the nation uh, in terms of healthcare and pulling a thread and exposing those patterns that have long existed. How, how is Kaiser Permanente addressing the role of racial inequities in, in health? Well, I think, uh, you know, Kaiser Permanente is a 77-year-old company, uh, and really from its foundational years, uh, it's had a longstanding commitment to uh, values of inclusion. Uh, and that goes back to our founding years when we took a stand against racially segregated hospitals, uh, and our founders decided that if that was mainstream, even in California at that time, that Kaiser Permanente would go a different route and insist on having situations where people were brought together uh, as a community and providing care and resources there. So understanding that as an anchor value and vision, and then understanding because of a highly diverse patient population, the importance of uh, creating culturally responsive care, taking time to understand people's unique cultural needs, language needs, and adapting your delivery approach with that in mind. And then just continuing to, to build on that platform, again, not so much from a EID strategy standpoint at that time, but really just core values and mission about who's worthy of being uh, treated and treating them fairly and being inclusive, if you will. So that, that foundational commitment is still evident in what we're doing today and building on that. So with everything that's gone on these past few years, uh, diversity and inclusion have been longstanding values that we've uh, built into the fabric organization. But our energy and attention now is really on the, the construct around equity and really understanding that while we can talk about the role social determinants play uh, in people's lives and has more impact on their day-to-day -day lived experience and health outcomes than the few minutes they may spend with us in an office or clinical setting. Uh, how do we as, health, as a health system, a health system community, how do we have a direct and perpetual impact in that space? How do we leverage our resources, our influence, uh, our commitment, our actions to transform the day-to-day -day lived experience? So we've made equity a foundational value and principle in our organization. It's being hardwired into our code of, of behavior and responsibilities so that we have accountability. Uh, it's been made a formal dimension of quality improvement in, in our organization. Uh, you might recall, many of you might recall that the Institute of Medicine back in the, the late 90s talked about the six aims of care for the future. And equitable care was one of those six. But we know patient safety got lots of attention. If you think about where health care was, uh, back in the late 90s on the issue of patient safety and everything that's moved forward since then around accountability, accreditation standards, uh, people's individual goals and so forth, there's been dramatic improvement and sustainable improvement in that space. And so we're, we want to duplicate that in the equity space by making it a formal uh, commitment, uh, measurement, transparency, build into goals, uh, and also for people who manage people, the, the codification of behaviors and interactions uh, that are inclusive and help people become the best that they can be in terms of contributing to the mission and values of the organization. Mm -hmm. and, and a couple of other additional uh, commitments we've made is uh, to really examine, take this occasion to re-examine all of our systems. 
uh, particular our focus on workforce equity in addition to health equity around the whole career development of a, of a pay, of an employee uh, from the hiring from the uh, promotion and development opportunities uh, to ass assessing engagement and feeling a sense of belonging well-being and so on so that these will not just be aspirational conversations but build into the fabric and hard wiring of our organization and what we do every day. Can you talk more about that because I think that's really interesting. It's not just a matter of aspiration like you said or even virtue. You really are being intentional about employee and your workforce along the way in terms of inclusion and belonging. What comes from those efforts? What do you see as the results of that work? Well I think regarding inclusive leadership I start with just thinking that it's the right thing to do and the smart thing to do, even from a, from a business operational standpoint. The right thing to do in terms of values and a mission, and if any industry uh, should own those values and, and, and um, integrate that into their day-to-day -day experiences, it should be the healthcare industry, uh, you know, an industry that is here, a mission committed to improving the life and well-being of people. Uh, and I don't believe that our workforce, our respective workforces, can deliver to our patients and communities we serve something they're not experiencing themselves. So I think it is a smart thing to do and I think it is the right thing to do. And there's reams and reams of data research been done over many years in the EID space around if you invest in inclusive leadership and inclusive engagement with your workforce, what's the benefit you get from that? And it's pretty clear that the innovation levels, the ability to solve co complex problems because of the amazing brain trust that's available if you choose to leverage it, uh, the sense of, of a belonging and psychological safety, uh, all of that is enhanced when you have folks who are truly being inclusive as leaders. And I would say that when I talk about inclusive leaders, it's really not reserved for people with formal management leadership roles. Everybody in this room, everybody can become an inclusive leader. It's, it, and that's something that we all can and should strive for because it is, is both how we get the best of people and how we also gain the confidence and courage to speak up uh, and call out uh, things that are not working well or that are causing harm to people as part of the process. Right. And someone brought up inclusive leadership yesterday and I was thinking over the evening, you know, ex exclusive leaders are pretty easy to spot. They, they, they really stand out, but I was also thinking about when it comes to inclusive leadership, what are some subtle differences that set apart the most inclusive leaders from their colleagues? Yeah. Is there anything that you really look for when talent spotting or assessing? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. I think one is uh, inclusive leadership, again, is something we all can become, uh, number one. Number two, uh, there are common attributes that, again, have been evaluated and measured on what really resonates with other people uh, and from an inclusion standpoint. And three attributes that I, that I highlight and I think are very important is one is this uh, notion of curiosity. And probably where that's most important in the inclusion conversation is when you encounter difference, difference in values, difference in beliefs, difference in race, ethnicity, gender, anytime you encounter difference, uh, the tendency, the reflex can be to judge because of difference, which leads to more conflict and, and so forth. But if you can be intensely curious with a, a learning orientation that I spot something different here and I want to invest in learning about this difference and understanding it rather than putting up the defenses. And that's a, a, a critical attribute because the reflex that we all have, unconscious bias and otherwise, is when we encounter difference, 
it's, it's the, a, a threat until proven otherwise. And so we automatically left our own measures go into a defensive mode. And it can be subtle, it can be something you're not even aware of. So when somebody says, why are you reacting this way? Your orientation could be, what are you talking about? Uh, but you also got to understand that this is also about uh, intentions versus impact. All of us with a, a right awareness can understand uh, and be aware of what our intentions are, and we hold ourselves accountable to quote unquote good intentions. But you also have to be accountable for the impact that your actions and words have on other people. Uh, and that is the extra step that inclusive leaders go to. You, there's an inward focus on taking time to understand your own journey, what has been your lived experience, what are your beliefs based on, uh, what are the biases that you have and that operate, taking time to learn that and understand that because you are intentional and want to be an inclusive leader and have that desired impact. People who can talk about that journey, that self-reflection they've been on and going forward. And then the ex external component of that is how you actually engage with people with that understanding and send very clear signals that your view uh, is something that I'm interested in learning about as opposed to judging uh, and that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you and you're learning from me and that's part of the value of what we can do. All of that research I quoted about the value of, a, of this amazing brain trust to do complex problem solving and so forth, that's based on uh, the, another aspect of, of inclusive leadership, humility, that we're here to do collective work as a team and wherever the best idea comes from, that's where it comes from. It doesn't have to come from me as the leader, the manager, whatever. So the power dynamics are mitigated in a very different way. And people are smart when they sense that and they test that to see if I call something out, if I see something that is problematic and I speak up, is this a psychologically safe environment? Do I get acknowledged for making that contribution or do I get uh, humiliated or called out uh, kind of a deal? So those, those micro behaviors that go on every day, I think, being humble enough to, to learn and understand because I'm the, the boss, if you will, doesn't mean I have all the answers. Saying that to your teams that I don't have all the answers, we're going to find this together, those kind of intentional conversations followed by actions signals that I'm working with an inclusive leader. Uh, and if all of us can manage that in a highly different environment, including direct patient care, because uh, it goes on in that arena as well, that's where I think the opportunities to shine and be transformative exist. I appreciate that so much. I think the point about curiosity, too, you mentioned sometimes when you encounter a difference, people can be judgmental. I also think sometimes under the guise of professionalism, people might downplay it or not even express any interest. Or So, so I think it's a good point, too. There's a neutral reaction or apathy that yeah. isn't curiosity. So I, I really appreciate the distinction. Let's check in with, with our attendees and see if there's any questions for Dr. Copeland, and then we'll resume uh, the questions we have prepared. But is there anything that folks would like to get Dr. Copeland's take on. And I'll do my best to repeat the question so everyone can hear. Yes, I see on the end there we have a question. I tend to have a big mouth, so don't Oh, great, thank you. <laughs> Dr. Copeland, I followed you um, throughout your career, and I appreciate all the work that you and Kaiser have done. I'm curious about, in this work of diversity, inclusion, and equity, the, the chess pieces have moved. It used to be diversity and inclusion. First, it used to be diversity, then we added inclusion, then we added equity, and then diversity kind of got pushed to the back. And right now the spotlight has been on equity. Can you talk a little bit about the synergy and importance of not losing sight of that diversity piece and how that is you know, how that relates to the inclusion work and the equity work? 
Yeah, great, great question. Well, I, I guess I can tell a quick story about that, how that's been our journey and, and my leadership aspect since I was asked to take on this role uh, uh, 12 years ago by our late CEO, Bernard J. Tyson. And when Bernard asked me to you know, retire my, my clinical career and take on this role at our corporate office, he said that one of the first things I need you to do is reframe our strategy in this, this space and where we're going. So as I said earlier, Kaiser had a long history of commitment to diversity of its workforce, diverse communities we provide care to, and taking pride in saying our workforce reflects the diversity of the people that we're serving. We're internal ambassadors, uh, 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 internal advisors, if you will, and external ambassadors to our respective communities. But when I came on board, I said there's, there's pretty strong research that a highly diverse team that's not working in an inclusive environment is a lot of chaos and disconnect. So if we're gonna be serious about diversity, one of our core values, we gotta become inclusive. So we went on the inclusion journey and all the forms that brought on board. Uh, and then two years ago, or, or shortly before that, uh, we brought equity into the conversation for all the reasons that we've been talking about this morning. And so I think the key is not seeing these as separate uh, choices, uh, but one continuum of maturity and evolution in this space of recognizing at the end of the day uh, that at, at everyone that we are privileged to provide care and services to uh, and those who bring their careers to us deserve the fair and just opportunity to contribute at the highest level. And to do that at, at scale, to do it on a consistent basis, uh, it takes a focus uh, on diversity and what that represents and valuing diversity for its, for, for its own value uh, understanding you have to create an inclusive environment for value, for diverse values to, to flourish and people to feel connected and valued and bring their best. And then equity is just recognizing uh, it's not enough for us just to be aware that social determinants have an impact on people's lives. But going outside the doors of our facilities, our medical hospitals and facilities to say, we have some accountability in the community space. And our voice as a leader, as a resource, how are we leveraging that to achieve social justice and speak up and use our voice to inform policy and otherwise. So taking on all of that in the name of providing health and wellness to people we serve and keeping people healthy, that's what it means to us, and that's how I think about this construct of E, I, and D uh, in any order you put them, but that, that they go together. And equity is inclusive of those other two. It's not separate from those. So this is not about picking and choosing. This is about a portfolio of ownership of that collective set of values and attributes that align with our mission in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your question. Any other questions for Dr. Copeland? I saw a couple other hands go up that we didn't get to. Yes, on the end here. Well, yeah, what's, what's, what's being done? Repeat, yeah, oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, DEI, there's also B for belonging. What's being done to include and ensure people feel like they belong and aren't just included? Well, yeah, belonging is an outcome of inclusive leadership. So that's how you create a sense of belonging. People feel like uh, I'm valued. Just, just think, ask your, yourself, if you're working in, a, in an environment with a group of people or out in the community, What's gonna make you feel like you belong? Is do people uh, value you for your unique lived experience and the, and the differences you bring to a conversation? Do they trust uh, your judgment? 
do they listen? Uh, do they include you in the conversations? And when you take a different perspective on an issue, uh, do people say, I respect your opinion and so forth and so on? Uh, that's where you have psychological safety and a feeling that your voice matters. That's what belonging is about. And I'm part of a team and we win together, we lose together, but we stay together to try to achieve a common goal, a common set of values and mission that we all are here to serve. And that's where people feel the sense of belonging. The opposite of that is when people are excluded, uh, they're, they're not given opportunities. Your voice doesn't matter. I want to hear your opinion, but I'm not interested in yours. That's people feeling excluding feeling excluded and that creates a uh, tremendous psychological gaps when people r offer a different opinion or see something that is not aligned with codes of behavior and speak up about it and they're chastised for that and held accountable for that denied opportunities for development uh, for that that's again exclusion uh, and that drives people from a from a sense of inclusion to feeling very very different uh, imagine being the only whatever category in an environment and people don't invite you for social interaction, don't include you in important meetings. There's the meeting we have with you and then there's the real meeting we have where we decide what we're going to do. All of that is exclusionary. And so belonging is a, a goal, an aspiration to achieve, but you don't achieve it by just saying we're going to focus on belonging per se. The way you get to belonging is practicing inclusion at the highest level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah, the, so the question about supplier diversity and, and community facing, and we have, we have a formal you know, community engagement uh, you know, apparatus like I'm sure many of you do in your various systems. Uh, and that again is anchored by the belief and understanding that people's day-to-day -day lived experience has much more to do with their health than the few minutes they spend with us. So if we are serious about at KP about health and wellness in communities and giving people the best chance to achieve health, we have to be a force for change and support in the communities. Many ways to do that. One important way from our view is to support and make sure women and minority-owned small businesses are getting their fair share of our uh, uh, contracting dollars and do that with intentionality, with, with measurement and accountability. Uh, and setting goals in that space the same way we do with financial performance, with growth performance, and, and so forth. So we have a very rich history and have been recognized uh, by lots of organizations uh, about our investments in community and, and small business owners with the understanding that if they become successful, then they become uh, mechanisms within their communities to up